welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. We're family lawyers helping you navigate the six divorced and done steps to move through your divorce quickly and efficiently without bankrupting yourself emotionally or financially. Everything we talk about in this podcast is for your information, but it is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Darren Schmidt, how are you? Hey, Rob. I was thinking about your text to me on the weekend about possibly attending a concert in July. I won't say who you sent uh, the link to and, uh, or who it was, sure. but um, I just thought, you know, we've, uh, we're open again. Rob's got music on the mind. Uh, other than um, um, the guy you sent me uh, for the concert, um, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal. It was Mark, Mark Rebellier. I mentioned him a couple episodes ago. He's a crazy YouTube sensation. I, I think he's quite big now. Um, I became familiar with him because of his YouTube stream, and he does these live streams, and you can call in, and he'll custom make a song for you on his keyboard setup, and he's, he's quite talented. But I guess he's performing in Calgary, and you said, are we going? And I was like, oh, man, that'd be pretty fun. Uh, I think it'd be he's quite crude. Like, I don't know that we he would is. fit in. You introduced me to him on the YouTube, the guy... I mean, I realize this is a family podcast, almost looks like a go-go dancer there in his shorts. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of, I don't want to say pornographic, but uh, no, tickets were 50 bucks. Looked at that. I, I don't know who would show up to that kind of, because it's an electronic music show. Is this a rave? I don't know. Is it do, like I sound, a, do I like sound a, like, like a boomer by going, is this a rave? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just is go it like a concert hall in Calgary? Is it, is it in a concert hall where you're seated and it's like an amphitheater thing inside? Well, again, we are going to sound like our dads here <laughs> speculating about this. I looked it up online. I have right. no idea where it is. It's not at a place I'm familiar with. Uh, it, it could Ooh. be some facility. Mysterious. Or like a tent or like a Coachella. You know, a Coachella out there in the field <laughs> where someone right. sets up. Yeah, someone sets up a Coachella. <laughs> And we all just go to the Coachella. I'm sorry. Everyone thinks I'm ridiculous for prattling no, on no, no. Like this. No, I have no idea what it is. It looks like it's part of some sort of music festival. So whether it's just him or it's other people, tickets were like 50 to 80 bucks. And there you go. I think that's the going rate for a concert these days. I, can't, I was just thinking, but I was thinking about that. And I thought, when was the last time I went to a concert? Like with, I was in a, a theater or it was even like, yeah, like a music festival or something. And it's been so long since I've done any of that. I just couldn't remember um, a, a concert that I've been to in a long time. So the notion of getting back into concerts was kind of fun. Maybe um, maybe we'll go to Mark. That'd be fun. Mark Reblia. <clears throat> are there concerts in Vernon around where you are? Does stuff show up So there? interestingly, we get midweek concerts out of Kelowna or Penticton south of Kelowna has a major event center so Penticton for instance is getting the Foo Fighters I believe in the fall and I know they sort of tragically lost their drummer his name doesn't come to mind I'm not a big Foo Fighters fan but um, what we get is midweek concerts because all the weekend concerts go to Vancouver so artists will fly into Vancouver and then they'll they'll perform the Friday or Saturday night they'll take the Sunday off and then we'll get like a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday sort of concert in Kelowna or Penticton. And of course, working a regular job and being, you know, an hour north of Kelowna, roughly, um, that typically doesn't work very well for me unless I was to take a day off work. And I just, I haven't seen anyone that I'm 
that interested in taking a day off work to go and watch their concert. But um, I have seen drop everything to. for who would you take a day off work to go see? Um, I was really, actually, I had a, a court appearance on the Monday, but I was considering going out in April to see Peach Pit. And anyone that listens to this knows yes, we briefly fan. featured some music that I was interested in. Um, we didn't formally get warned about that, but uh, nonetheless, that that is not a part of our show anymore. But I love Peach Pit. I love independent Canadian music. Well, speaking of music, Darren Schmidt, uh, as you put out a call some time ago, as you know, we pay money for the music that we have uh, for our theme on this show. <laughs> it's your hope always that someone will send us a theme song. Hopefully they do. You could, you know, you could even sing us a song. Sing us a song I or send that. us a voicemail to our SpeakPipe, speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. And with that, let's roll into our first question. It is a SpeakPipe, so let's listen to that now. Hey there. Um, so I know this is a really unique situation, and I um, I mean, I do have the answer to it, uh, but I know that there would be a lot of people in my situation Um that don't know the answer to it. So maybe this would be a really cool one or one you've never covered. Uh, so I'm a retired veteran um, from the Canadian Forces and the RCMP. And um, I receive a disability tax benefit. And so when calculating child support, my ex um, was asking if I included that monthly income in my child support calculations. And I said, no, because it's a disability tax benefit that's designed to help me with my disability and um, my dependents are pensioned individually as well but once we separated my my spouse came off the benefits so I no longer receive benefits for her and so um, the I guess the biggest question for a long time was does this does this um, disability pension qualify for um, um, child support and maybe you can clarify maybe in a better way than I can but essentially I was told it's not good question Darren Schmidt what do you think Um, I was just doing some TikToks on case summaries cases that have come out over, over the last few months some cases out of BC uh, I'm not certain where this listener comes from, and although not these cases were not directly um, the fact scenario that the listener has provided, they were basically about whether a payor spouse of child support should have a non-taxable income included for the purpose of their child support calculations, and in one instance. Uh, the payor was looking after, for instance, a disabled adult and received income from a not-for-profit society in their in their municipality. And it was non-taxable income, so it didn't have to be uh, claimed as income on the uh, income tax return of that individual, as far as I'm aware. Uh, or it was identified on the tax return and uh, was just noted as not taxable income, but it was nonetheless identified, again, not certain based on the facts of the case. But the um, the payor spouse in this case uh, that I'm describing was arguing that 
uh, because it's not taxable and because the income received, money received by the not-for-profit is meant to support the disabled adult, that it shouldn't be used in calculating his child support. And the court disagreed with the payer in that case. The court said, uh, we should dig a little deeper into this and figure out what portion of that money that you receive from the not-for-profit is meant to actually cover the hard out-of-pocket costs that you might encounter payor from having to look after this individual. So how much do you buy in food? Uh, how much more in utilities, for instance, are you spending to have this individual in your house? And it was clear that the payment from the not-for-profit society was not wholly intended to just cover the out-of-pocket costs for the payor in this case, because, of course, why would anyone do this other than just the pure generosity uh, the notion of just pure generosity, if they were just being purely reimbursed for looking after a disabled adult. So the court said, well, some of this is going to be used to calculate your child support and then set a separate hearing to determine that amount and ask for additional information. I don't know what the, the second hearing hasn't occurred as far as I'm aware. It's a fairly recent decision and I don't know whether that case will be reported or not. So in this instance, the listener is paid a disability um, something from a, a disability benefit from uh, his former employment in the military or, and or the RCMP, and I'm not certain the exact details. But of course, the question becomes, uh, just because it's not taxable income on your tax return, or you don't even have to claim it on your tax return, that doesn't mean it's not income that can be calculated as part of your child support. A court can always impute income to a payer spouse under Section 19 of our federal child support guidelines. So I don't think the answer is a firm no in terms of do I have to calculate, do I have to use this income to calculate my child support? I think it would be wrong to suggest the firm answer is no, you don't, you, you never have to claim that income. I think the question turns to what's the purpose of that money? Is it solely to pay you for your disability? But is it also meant to compensate you and top up your earnings that you were once making? If that's the case, this starts looking a lot more like employment earnings or a subsidization of employment earnings you once made. So I don't, I don't know the firm answer uh, other than to suggest I've given you an example of not a, a case that is squarely the same as yours, but um, just because it's not taxable doesn't mean you don't use it to calculate child support. Uh, Rob, what do you think? As you always say, uh, income is income, and child support is the right of the child. It's not the right of your ex, and it's for you in having a biological child um, or adopted child or child where you stand in the place of a parent to care for that child and provide for that child. Uh, in Alberta, uh, I know of numerous cases where we have individuals that receive what we call AISH, which stands for Assured Income for the Severely Handicapped. And by its very name, it is a special uh, government benefit for those people basically that have been determined cannot work or will never work. So they receive that. And there were numerous instances where those individual or individuals receiving AISH uh, tried to say, well, this, this isn't income for 
me or for my children. This is of special benefit just for me because I'm severely handicapped using the exact words of our listeners saying, well, this benefit is for me. Sorry. Uh, income is income by and large with some very narrow exceptions. Uh, you have an obligation to support your children based on your standard of living. And the best way we know to do that is assessing you based on your income. So my suggestion is income is income that's likely included. Uh, and I wouldn't spend too much time trying to get around that piece or fighting it or thinking about it. Pay your child support. I think that's a good answer. I think the takeaway is if you and your ex can't agree on it, um, maybe your ex says, you know what, let's not use it to calculate your income. And they agree to do that. And you go forward on that basis and you have no orders in place from a court. Um, I can't say that your ex may not go back retroactively and ask for top-ups based on a misunderstanding of the law. That's certainly not a guarantee. But um, if your ex doesn't agree and you're heading towards a, a, a contested court matter where you know, you're either going to provide evidence by way of affidavit or under oath in front of a judge, I would, I would expect a judge to impute some of that income at minimum to you for the purpose of calculating your child support. You do well to, if you are in a situation where your ex is challenging this and you can't agree on it and you're barreling towards a court date, I mean, I hope you get independent legal advice because you mentioned at, at the top, well, I've talked to someone about this and, and I think I know, I, I know the answer. Well, unless you've got good, clear legal advice specifically on your case, you know, talking to a friend or talking to someone in a chat board online, I, I don't think those are very effective ways to figure out um, what is applicable in your individual circumstance and, and what you should do. So maybe get some independent legal advice. I think that'd be a good thing to do in this case. So thank you for the question, though. We really appreciate it. Let's go to our second question. It comes by way of email. <clears throat> Uh, the listener says, hello, hello, I am uh, in a situation where I agreed to a very unfair JDR under complete duress. I'll just stop. So JDR, Rob, what's a JDR? That is a mediation with a judge. Uh, JDR stands for uh, Judge Dispute Resolution. And broadly, you can have just a JDR, which is without prejudice. And if you come to an agreement... You can have an agreement out of that process. You can also have a binding JDR, which means if you and the other party can't agree, that judge can step in and make a decision for you. Okay, and JDR, the reason I asked you, and I know what it is, because it's, a, it's, an, Alberta, um, it's an Alberta thing, right? It's an acronym that's used in the uh, Alberta courts, the Court of Queen's Bench. A uh, listener says, uh, I agreed to a very fair JDR under complete duress. Is there any way to appeal this binding JDR? Also, if the court has ordered the taxes to be shared annually, should it be the complete income tax form? Uh, he has regular income plus a side single owner renovations company that he has never shared his own business information. He also hasn't followed through with paying the extracurricular expenses for our children, even though it was agreed at the JDR and he had primary care. My daughter has a lot of debt from university. This whole thing's very complicated. Uh, I was paying federal child support and he was supposed to do the extracurriculars for the children. There's more information. Um, 
basically the listener here is um, got a bunch of issues, it appears, but um, they attended a judicial dispute resolution, a judge dispute resolution, whatever we're calling it. And there was some agreement about sharing taxes. I don't know whether that's sharing taxes from a business or what, or maybe sharing tax debt to the CRA. Um, And she's not happy that he's not paying extracurricular expenses for their children. Um, Rob, what do you think about appealing a binding JDR or order? I should say orders made at a binding JDR. So when you go to a binding JDR versus just a JDR, you're going into that and you're likely you would sign a document probably at the beginning with the judge that says you understand if you it is a mediation, but if you can't come to agreement with the other party, that judge will step in, make a decision and it is final by its very name binding. And there's very few ways by which you can appeal a binding JDR. It basically can't be appealed. You agreed to it. You entered into it. The benefit of going to that binding JDR, the deal, is you're out of a litigation process. Usually the evidentiary standards and the formality is much lower. So it's a lot easier from a preparation threshold, at least in terms of documents and witnesses and other things, to go to this. Uh, it's less formal than a trial, but you'd still want to have all your documents and your entire case before that judge, particularly even though that judge is going to try and get you and your ex to come to some agreement. If you can't, that person will make a decision. And by being a binding, being in a binding JDR, your lawyer should have advised you of all of that because you would have had to agree for it to be a binding JDR. A judge can't just say, I'm making this a binding JDR or I'm ordering you to a binding JDR. It is a voluntary process by which you would have needed to have independent legal advice, meaning your lawyer would have sat with you, would have told you how a binding JDR cannot be appealed, uh, and you would have had to say, okay, I'm going to go to it. You note toward the end of your email, and Darren, I know you didn't read all of it, but something about the lawyer refused to halt the JDR with concerns you had, and your lawyer also suggested you should attend with, or and it would happen with or without you. I think there may have been some misunderstanding there between you and your lawyer, which is unfortunate, because the judge would have likely been very clear with you at the outset Uh, If you couldn't come to an agreement, what sort of decisions they could make as a binding JDR and what could be appealed, what couldn't be appealed, and potentially all of this can't be appealed. The only benefit of sort that I see in your question, you talk predominantly about some concerns about child support. Thankfully, child support is not a forever issue. It's one of those things that you can revisit in the future if there's a material change in circumstances. Uh, And this is not legal advice, but material change in circumstances for income are usually changes up or down more than 10%. If your income is changing, his income is changing, you can revisit that again in the future. So even though this doesn't necessarily maybe feel fair this year, you can come back to that in the future. Uh, I don't know what other issues you had other than some child support issues. You suggest there may have been some debt pieces or other things. If you were dealing with debt as matrimonial property, may or may not be so easily appealed. Uh, There's debt potentially for a child, an adult child in university. Well, maybe you can revisit that issue again in the future at a child support review. But the core of our answer or the core of my answer to your question, as you say in the first sentence, 
I agreed to very fair JDR under complete duress. You agreed. So the judge should have seen what state you were in, should have explained to you all that was going on. If you agreed to it, you went through it. You knew the judge was going to make a binding decision. I think your best, you're going to have to live with it. And in the future, revisit what you can revisit. But you've chose a binding JDR over a trial or over any other sort of resolution process. Even though you didn't like the result, silver lining, you're probably done. And hopefully, you can do your best to put your divorce and the issues that were handled in the binding JDR behind you and move forward with your life as best you can. I think the uh, the appeal is like a snowball's chance in a hot basement. Um, I just, I think that that's, um, it's just probably not going to happen. Um, I think, so what you're dealing with now is <clears throat> you say, kind of hint that your ex is not following some of the orders made at the JDR. Um, what orders do you need to go possibly back to court or get a different lawyer or go back to your current lawyer and say, look, you ex-spouse are not complying with certain orders to pick up some of these debt pieces. And as you say, Rob, the other option here is, yeah, those child support pieces, um, they can be reviewed in the future. <clears throat> but um, the appeal piece, I think it would be foolish for either Rob or I to really tell you that that is a good option for you. You, you need specific legal advice on it, but I mean, the chance you have of successfully appealing that JDR order is really, really thin. And you're likely outside the window to appeal this order anyway. There's very strict limitations for making an appeal to the Court of Appeal in Alberta. So um, see if you can get enforcement on some of those <clears throat> orders that were made at the uh, at the JDR that are not being followed by your ex. That's thing one. And then if he won't comply with those orders, you might need to go back to court to get enforcement of those orders through a subsequent court application. God forbid, you know, people don't want to go back to court, but <clears throat> um, we wish you well. Uh, following on that, our last question this week is about people that don't follow court orders. She's listener says, hi, all. So hello, uh, question short and sweet. I am wondering, is it possible to hold another parent in contempt of a parenting order? when they are withholding a child and breaking the clear rules set out in an order? If so, what does this contempt order usually look like? How does one achieve this? Thank you. Uh, I'll just jump in very quickly and then turn it over to you, Rob. I mean, contempt orders are actually quite technical to get. You have to meet rules of service. Um, <clears throat> you have to um, sort of prove why the contempt order is in, well, not the best interest of the kids, but why it's appropriate, you would bear a high onus. Really, if a parent is not following a parenting order, going back to court and seeking an enforcement order, either through police enforcement clauses added to a second order so that they can go and apprehend the children, um, perhaps the order then would strip back that other parent's parenting time from the first order because they are not um, complying with that first order. There's a whole host of other options before applying for contempt of court. Contem the, I mean, contempt, the orders are often to make a finding that the person is in contempt, then have a second hearing on, well, what do we do now that you are in contempt? 
And I think the most drastic contempt remedy is, you know, putting the person that is in contempt in jail. Uh, that's very extreme. I don't know what putting that party in jail gets you in this instance. Um, but it, we wouldn't do you uh, any help by suggesting that's a quick wave of the wand. I think better than thinking about contempt is, okay, if they're withholding the, the kids and they're currently withholding the kids as you're listening to this and not following the order, you would do well to go back to court to get an enforcement order on the original order and ask for a police enforcement provision into your second order so that the police in your region can, unfortunately, as, as extreme as this sounds, apprehend the children. But um, Rob, what do you think? I completely agree, and I have very little to add other than we know you have a parenting order. If one parent is withholding children, that means there isn't supervised parenting uh, or some other uh, overstructure that could make that parent return the children. So you're working in some sort of self-governing parenting structure, meaning you both have an order that says you will do this at these times, which with you both need to comply but a big part of that, of course, is working together. And I completely agree with Darren. You've probably exhausted all avenues of trying to talk to your ex to make that happen, saying, hey, why aren't the children back with me? When can we make that exchange happen? Our order says this. I've tried to be flexible. What do you need so that we can work this out outside of court? Assuming that has not happened, contempt is a technical avenue and likely not your best avenue as opposed to seeking to just either enforce the terms of your existing order with a police enforcement clause, as Darren has suggested, or perhaps the more extreme approach of saying, well, this person has demonstrated they can't follow the terms of this order, and maybe less parenting time for this person is the appropriate remedy. Thank you for all the questions we received this week. Darren Schmidt, thank you for being with me. As always, speakpipe.com slash divorced and done, or to our email, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. I'm Rob Woodward. Thank you for joining us on Divorced and Done, and we look forward to being with you again.